Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello, Ramblers, and welcome to another Ramble Meets with me, Andy Brassel. Um, and we're lucky enough this week to have Marcus Mumford of the great band Mumford & Sons joining us. Uh, now, Marcus is is very, very interesting because um, as well as being a top guy, he's uh, not one of those musicians who just says, oh yeah, I'm really into football. He genuinely really is into football. Uh, he's a massive AFC Wimbledon fan, which obviously gets a, a big green tick from me uh, straight away. So we talk about that and his uh, relationship with the club, having grown up in Wimbledon and um, how that developed over the AFC Wimbledon years. Um, but more importantly, we also talk about... Um, his great charity work. He does a lot of work with um, War Child, especially on a football tip. And part of that uh, has been his, his brilliant cover of uh, You'll Never Walk Alone. He talks a bit about what the song uh, means to him, as it means a lot to, to so many uh, football fans out there. So anyway, I really hope you enjoy this. This is uh, Ramble Meets Marcus Mumford. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Marcus. Pleasure, man. Um, you grew up in Wimbledon, having yeah. been born in the States, but at, at a time when the club wasn't in the borough anymore. So how did your relationship with the club develop? Yeah, well, it started when I started going to school in Wimbledon. And my mates said that 
being a United fan, which I was to the age of sort of eight, because my brother was, who was six years older, mm. being a Manchester United fan wasn't going to work. And they were right. <laughs> so I started, I uh, went to my first game, 96 was when Beckham scored from the halfway line at Selhurst Park. Manchester what first United game? Against Wimbledon. Great game. In fact, loads of people like Gav, who now works with us, was there. Winston from our band was there before we'd known each other. Lots of people were at that game. I missed the goal because I was eating my chips. <laughs> um, but it uh, was seminal in lots of ways. And then, um, and then, yeah, yeah. Basically, was was told in no uncertain terms by my mates at school that being a Manchester United fan living in Wimbledon was not going to work. So I had no choice. <laughs> and since then, I have been a Wimbledon fan, and never regretted a second. It's Especially a funny... since since um, you know since AFC Wimbledon took up the reins of being Wimbledon's club. Um, you know, anywhere you go in the world now, most people have heard the story who like football have heard the story of AFC mm. Wimbledon. So you become, you know, it's a really respected club for what it's done. Um, I'd hate to have to go around the world as a franchise fan, you know, because <laughs> you'd just be, you'd just be sort of hated everywhere you go. It seems, but statistically there's quite a low possibility of that being the case agreed. though, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. Agreed. It's, it's funny because the, the, the Beckham goal at Selhurst Park, when, I mean, whenever you re-see that goal, Firstly, it's weird that he's wearing the number 10 because Cantona is still there at yeah. the time. And secondly, I do think that that is a thing, like you mentioned uh, about a lot of the people you got to know in later life being there. I think it is one of those things like the pistols at the Free Trade Hall in Manchester. <laughs> like if everyone who said they were there was there, <laughs> 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 it had been Wimbledon's biggest crowd of uh, probably anything, even, even beyond the, the 88 FA Cup final. But... It, I mean, to, to to me, who started going in the late 80s or in the mid to late 80s and had my first couple of years at Plough Lane, which was a really special place to mm. to watch football when you were a young kid because it was it was super easy to to meet the players. You're very close to the the, the crowd. How do you look back on going to football at, at Selhurst now? Because that's a very different experience. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a schlep for a start. Take ages to get there. Felt like at that age as well. It felt like hours and hours to get to get over there. Um, and wasn't the most romantic of grounds at the best of times. <laughs> but it was home, wasn't it? So, mm. and I'd never known anything other really. So it was romantic to me still. But that's what's so exciting about AFC Wimbledon going back to Plough Lane. You know. For people who never got the Plowland experience, they're going to get it. And mm. for people who did have it, you know, they'll get a new version of it. So in all ways, it's good for, for Wimbledon. And, and yeah, being back on that site, it's a real sort of completion of history um, that's been a long time coming. And, yeah, I just hope, hope we get the uh, – I hope we get there <laughs> this year. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's a weird – it's a weird time to be launching a new football ground, I imagine. But no, you never you never can tell at the moment. You know, you, you never can tell. But um, if we go back to the early seasons of AFC Wimbledon, how did that feel for you? I'm always really interested to know because I mean, football's such a collective experience that is experienced 
so personally and so individually i think you know you can ask like 10 different people to describe an incident or a get a game or a match itself and they will all have a different perception and a, a different feeling uh, about it so for, for me i mean the, the big moment at the beginning of the afc wimbledon story is i think when we first scored against chipstead of all people in like like the, the opening home game and i felt okay this isn't just a pr- protest movement this is my club D- did you always feel like that or did it take a while for you to feel like that or i know different people had the feeling if you like at, at different moments i remember thinking like if harvey from so solid crew can join up a you know <laughs> if they're having trials if they're having trials on the common i fancy myself do you, do you remember that <laughs> I remember I thinking, do. like, wow, it feels like it feels like uh, anyone could get in this team. Let's have a go. Of course, it wasn't true at all, and I never would have uh, got anywhere near it. But that was one of my first feelings. Like, you know, we can do it, and and that's real. It's a real aspirational club, isn't it? So yeah. that was one of my first feelings. Um, uh, I think beating Luton at the City Ground wasn't it? Um, yeah, to get back in the league. That was massive as well. I mean, I remember I couldn't get there that day and I remember exactly where I was. Um, I was on the side uh, of a field in my car, listening to the radio turned all the way up, and <laughs> screaming and shouting and running around my car. Um, and I had friends there who had no idea what was going on. And yeah, so I mean, it, we were lucky in the sense that we got loads of amazing memories really early on. And they're not the kind of memories that, you know, you demand as a fan of one of the top flight clubs that's experienced lots mm. of, or, or at least even been in the running to experience, even like a Villa fan this year, you know, with the League Cup final, mm. you know, that sense of like almost achieving something great. Um, it was like we were achieving something great every year or every other year with the promotions climb that we made and there was a lot to celebrate. And then we started hitting the hard yards when we got into league one, yeah. really. Um, and I'm sure there's, you know, there's going to be mixed, mixed experience ahead of us. But I think we were spoiled in the sense that almost every season, there was something massive to celebrate a new milestone for the club um, that now we're going to get into that. Once we settled into plow lane, we're going to get into the hard yards of being a league club and, you know how how um, how mixed that can be, what roller coaster it's going to be. But that's what you sign up for as a football fan, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, there are so many moments since AFC Wimbledon started in two thousand and two, where it's just a succession of did that really happen sort of moments. Really, yeah. uh, each yeah. bit is is crazier than the the last bit. And Most when you got came Danny back Kevin to involved. Uh, yeah, most of them do. Most of them do. <laughs> but um, I guess slightly before that time, or just around that time, uh, the 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 Kedwell era was when you came back to London from Edinburgh to get Mumford and Sons off the ground, and it was a successful, very successful time for the club, and heading into an even more successful time for the club. Did it feel in the short time you'd been away that the club had, had changed? Yeah, and I remember being in the States a bunch around that time and having to keep up with it. And it was quite a hard club to follow from afar to start with. Mm. 
do you know what I mean? It was even like pre-YouTube and all that kind of stuff. It was quite a hard yeah. club to follow, but it was so fulfilling when you could and when you did. And, you know, I think that's how the club has got, has, has won itself such a loyal fan base because most people who've been fans for a long time or since the beginning had to put in hard yards, you know, either going down Kings Meadow. I remember going to Burton away on tour once, uh, which is just like unbelievably fulfilling to go, you know, and follow the little club that we were to start with. But mm. you knew there was great things in the future and it was like a badge of honour to be there early doors. But I also think it's just really exciting for people who are coming to the club now. And I think a lot more people will come to the club now. We're a league team now that we'll have a home in, in Plough Lane. That is, I'm really excited for them as well to start their journey with the club because we want to be, you know, open arms. We need more supporters. And I think more the more people learn about the history of the club, but also how exciting a time it is to become a fan now, you know, I'm excited for those those people that have still got it all in store because we are still a small club. It still feels like a little family and people are going to get, you know, if they plug in for the ride, they're going to get the best ride being part of it from this new sort of rebirth era, um, which I'm excited for people to experience. Yeah, it's like that minor jealousy you get when you talk to someone who's never watched The Wire and mm-hmm. they've all got it to experience for the for the first time, haven't, haven't exactly. they? Exactly. Yeah, it's exactly what it's like. Yeah. I, I mean, Wimbledon fans, are, I think, are, are, are pretty good like that. There's there's not such a, a sense of, you know, have you paid your dues? I was there way back when. I think Wimbledon fans are are pretty welcoming, aren't they? And Wimbledon fans have, totally. have mucked in at every level. We've seen it um, um, with fans raising money for the, for the bond at the moment, which is made a huge difference to um, getting back to Plough Lane when when that eventually happens. Um, but, but everyone's chipped in, and you and the band really chipped in, didn't you? You did a huge show for uh, Wimbledon Theatre, what, six or seven years back now? What are your memories oh, of might that? Have more than that? Might have been more than that. Um, that, was, uh, that was epic. Of course, it was Ivor Heller that got us involved, um, and he's a dynamo, sort of Napoleonic character. That he is uh, <laughs> and very and very um, persuasive, but also you know part of the real heart and soul of the club, and that's what I love about it as well. Is that the sort of the guys who make the decisions and the Don's trust? It's, it's all it all feels really accountable to me. Like if mm. you want to, you can go and meet the people running the club, and in that sense, it feels more like a family business than a corporation. Um, so anyway, Ivor got us, you know got us involved early on um to do yeah one of our first sort of charity shows weirdly my brother because what we wanted to do early on with the band was not just become a charity band and not do anything at the drop of a hat but build up some value in the sort of non-profit world so that when we did stuff it had an impact rather than just doing everything sort of carpet bombing the charity scene as a band because there's lots of that right we wanted to what we did, we wanted it to be meaningful and to come from a place of passion on our own terms so that when we then supported things more publicly, it was with some sense of integrity, at least, that they were causes that we believed in and followed ourselves and had researched and had done you know, some of the work behind the scenes sure. to understand what we were raising money for because there's nothing more sickening than watching a celebrity sort of asking you for money for a cause that you know that they don't really care about and don't really know about. It's a tough, I think it's a tough sell. Mm. So 
Anyway, one of the courses we knew best to start with was AFC Wimbledon. And, uh, you know, it's not the same as charities we're now involved in. But I remember my brother giving me a really hard time being like, look, you've never put your weight behind anything charitable other than a fucking football club. And me being like, well... <laughs> You know, I really, I really love this football club, man. <laughs> anyway, we did this, uh, we did this little show at Wimbledon Theatre. It was a bit of a dream to play there as well, having grown up watching Panto at Wimbledon Theatre and then getting to actually play our own show there. It's a nice venue, man. So, um, and it felt like it was the first time we played in Wimbledon, you know, since we were at school. So it was, uh, yeah, it was romantic. It was sweet. So did did lots of your old friends come down and stuff? And I suppose for them and maybe for your families, it's a really rare opportunity, not just to see you on the doorstep, but in the sort of size of venue that, it, as you say, it's quite a grand venue, but it's still quite a small one. The size of venue that you've mm. probably outgrown by that point. I think maybe, but we're still playing venues that size in the States. And, you know, right. yeah, I mean, it was still, it's it still felt big for sure. It still is a big room. I mean, there's, you know, it's not, it's not thousands, but it's still anything over 50 people feels like, you know, big enough room to be playing. You're not wasting time playing those rooms. And I'm, we actually really love playing the little rooms and theatres, especially are wicked to play. So mm. yeah, there was, I mean, it was, uh, it was, it was a really pleasurable experience at the band, I know. And uh, I think I did my first five live interview backstage. I was very excited. Um <laughs> about AFC Wimbledon as well. So, no, it was a good time. It's a good time. So, are you penciled in for a date at the new Plough Lane yet already? Or uh, I'm trying. It- I'm hustling. I'm <laughs> hustling. Um, no, we haven't got the invite yet, but um, Ivan knows my number. Texts me every week. So, I'm waiting for the Would call-up. That- I, I, I believe... I believe that is essentially what's known in uh, the football media world as a, as a come and get me plea to, to Ivor Heller. So, um, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. it. I'm sat I, in the car park. Hopefully that works out. I'm, I'm sat in the car park. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what will it mean to you, do you think, going to a game there for the first time? There's going to be a lot of tears shed, aren't there? That's what mm. I mean. People who who grew up going there or who got to see games at Plough Lane and then and then those of us who didn't. It's going to mean the world to both types of fan, isn't it? And then mm. and then maybe even those who never went to Selhurst Park or even never went to Kings Meadow and Cherry Red, you know. So it's going to – it's just – that's what's so cool about it. It's such an open invitation to anyone who wants to come to support a club with a really beautiful story that's got a proper heart mm. and soul and is exactly, I think, model of what a club a football club should be it's a community um based project and so i just i just can't see any angle you come at it from whether it's the media or whether it's away fans or whether it's old wimbledon fans or new wimbledon fans i can't see anyone not having something to celebrate that day because there's no one really i can't think of anyone in the world even your most twisted franchise fans who aren't going to be happy for the club to have its own home again do you know what i mean so yeah um i just think i think it's a sort of catch-all winning experience for anyone just hope we actually win (laughs) but it's sort of irrelevant that day wouldn't it minor detail but yes it it would be nice it'd be nice yeah yeah no doubt about it 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. So. We talked about charity work before and how you sort of sort of dipped a toe in it and went gradually into it. But now you're one of mm. Warchild's global ambassadors and you've released um, a cover of You'll Never Walk Alone with all the pre- proceeds from the release being split between Warchild and the Grenfell Foundation. Was it your yeah. idea or Warchild's War idea to pick You'll Never Walk Alone as the song? It's my idea and I'll tell you why. Because I was... I'd recorded it in January uh, for a TV show that I'm doing the music for, which is partly about football. It's a comedy based uh, on an idea by Jason Sudeikis, who was a Saturday Night Live uh, improv comedian who's now got a big film career and done this TV show for Mm -hmm. Apple called Ted Lasso. And I'd seen some of the little sketches he'd done a few years back for this character. You might have seen them as well. He he went to Spurs in the first one and... um, and they were just really funny, basically an American basketball or American football coach who didn't have any idea about soccer, as he would call it, coming mm. to the UK to learn about it. And anyway, the show is based on that premise. And um, so I said I'd do the score for it. So I've been working on that since January. And in it, in the process, Jason said to me, look, will you record a cover of You'll Never Walk Alone for the TV show? So I did with my mate Ruben James, who came down to my studio and we recorded it. And with songs like that, you, you hear them so much. They're sort of, sort of part of the cultural and musical tapestry of the way you've been brought up. But I'd never really inspected the song under a microscope, which is what you have to do when you cover it. Mm. Learn the chord changes and learn the melody and the way the sketch and the lyrics work. And man, it's one of the best songs ever written, I think. Uh, and there's a reason for its massive success historically. And... So I had it up my sleeve. I had this recorded, short recorded version of it just sat on my computer at home in the studio. And and then when the coronavirus stuff really hit that week, it was a few weeks back now, I'd uh, spoken with Warchild because they give me updates as to how things are going because we're pretty invested in them and we've been to see a lot of their programs now from Central African Republic to been to Gaza twice, been to Iraq, um, 
have been to Jordan, seen their seen their work <laughs> in the field, and and so they kindly give us updates as to how that work is going. And you know, I'd had an update just overnight, one night at the beginning of this process, and it was going to be a really tough time for Warchild because they're looking after some of the most vulnerable people in the world anyway, some of the poorest people in the world in conflict zones, doing exactly what it says on the tin, and they rely on gatherings for for fundraising and mm. you know stuff was going to be tight over the next period of time but also they're working with people who are the most vulnerable to the effects of this coronavirus so it felt pretty urgent the idea of trying to help in any way we could and actually 12 hours later i had a conference call for the grenfell foundation because i'm on the board of trustees for that which we set up in the wake of the grenfell tower fire at the request of a group of bereaved and survivors that we set something up to be around basically to help um, the victims of that tragedy for as long as the NHS want to be around basically. So we want to be around for 30 years plus. And <clears throat> I'd had an update from Warchild and then an up update from Grenfell and then felt like, what could we do? How could we try and support those two organizations in time like this? Well, I'm a musician and I'm sat at home and I can make things. I've got a studio at home, so I'm lucky I can work from home. Mm. And then I pulled up this version and thought, well, there's people stuck in quarantine. It was like one of the first weekends there was sort of more widespread global quarantine. So firstly, let's bang it out just so that people can hear it and entertain themselves while they're at home. Like I think creating content for people to listen to while they're sat, you know, trying to feed their toddlers, you know, pasta or whether they're sat on their own, you know, it's a great song <laughs> for that. So I thought, let's try and get it out. I called Jason and said, look, can we get it out early? Even if it's still in the TV show, just to entertain people and make sure all the proceeds also go to these two organizations really close to my heart. So called the label who said they'd waive their royalties as well, which is really kind, called Jason. And he said, yes, of course, let's get it out. Um, so it all happened within sort of 24 hours. And then during that time, we heard that 100 plus radio stations across Europe had actually played You'll Never Walk Alone, the original, um, over the airwaves at a sort of synchronized time. So mm. then it also felt like the song had come up into sort of public consciousness anyway. So it felt just like the stars aligned. So we got it out <clears throat> and, um, and made it clear why we were getting it out to people. And even for, you know, not, the idea is not to try and manipulate people to give any money that they might not have access to right now. But more just to say, yes, we're putting this out and let's bear in mind our neighbours both near and far. So for us, that's people around uh, North Kensington affected by the Grenfell Tower fire, but also our neighbours, if you view it like that, you know, on the other side of the world who have been really suffering um, as a result of conflicts. And uh, I sort of, I've always loved a both and approach. So, you know, sometimes when you talk about trying to reunite kids in Afghanistan with their parents who've come back over the border from Iran. People say like, what's that really got to do with me? And I sort of think like, I don't think it means that you have to be exclusively looking to them. You have to look at your actual neighbors as well. But both and is the approach we, you know, at least like to take. And then I don't like, I don't like it when celebrities get preachy too. So it's more just sort of pointing towards and saying, you know, this is the way we're going to go. If you'd like to follow us and come with us, that's great don't feel obliged you can just listen to the song for free on youtube if you want you know so yeah that's the story of how it came about 
and, and you talked about how when you're covering a song, you break it down, you analyze it really closely. Um, I mean, I, I've seen it sung in a, a load of different contexts in a load of different places. Obviously, people will immediately think of Liverpool, but yeah. they'll also think of of Dortmund. And no matter how many times I go to Dortmund with work, the bit where the fans sing it before the start and the stadium tannoy just kills it and all of a sudden there are 80,000 yeah. people singing a cappella. Yeah. It gets you every single time. It what does, do you th- yeah. what do you think is it about this song that makes it click so much with football fans? I think it's the perfect. The, the, I think it's songwriting. What you want to do is you want to create a melody in pop songwriting, at least anyway. You want to create a melody that feels timeless, and then you breathe longevity into that melody with a strong lyric. Because I I can think of so many melodies that are unbelievable melodies, but without the lyric, they don't live as long in your memory. They don't live as long a life as they can. So I think the marriage of a powerful, universally appealing lyric with a melody that is, you know, is strong. When you marry those two things together, you get the magic of great songwriting. And I think You'll Never Walk Alone is one of the great examples of that perfect fusion between lyric and melody and and sort of perfect songwriting because it, it, it does that, doesn't it? It sticks in your head. Um, mm. And... And then when you hear 80,000 people, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a really good reason why 80,000 people sing that song week in, week out, wherever it is, because it is exactly what songs are supposed to do. It's uplifting and it's universally appealing. It has an identifiable emotion to it, but it's also, I mean, it's become a cliche now, but you know, as a song, it's not cliched either. So it avoids cliche, but it's emotionally identifiable and I think those are the two things that make you know a, a great song walk home, walk home with hope in your heart and you Now, you also played a big part in Warchild setting up Warchild FC, which is a football-based program to, to yeah. help young people. Tell us As a little Miles bit. Miles Jacobson, by the way. Oh, really? Is, uh, that, is that right? Good man. Yeah, well, yeah. Tell us a little bit about how you got involved in that and, and what the program actually involves now. Yeah, so that idea came from our first trip to Gaza. We were driving around in this little van um, around one of the poorest and most challenging places on earth that's been battered by conflict over the years. And it's basically a massive open-air prison because people can't go in and out very easily. So we were really privileged to be able to go in in the first place with, uh, with Warchild mm. to go and check up on some of their programs, meet the kids, hear from the kids directly, meet the staff and see. Because I sort of feel like if you're an ambassador for charity, you've got a duty to go and see it yourself so that you can bear witness. It's not sort of cultural you know, voyeuristic tourism, there's real purpose to it because I'm able then to bear witness to it as an ambassador and say that I was privileged enough to go on this trip and see the work that's being done. Now I can tell you about that work and sort of back up 
why I'm asking you for money, whoever it is, you know, mm. normally a company or sponsor or something and say, you know, this is why I think it's a good thing. So anyway, we're on that trip and visiting the programs and we're driving down streets of Gaza and on every corner there was kids kicking a ball and there was mostly, you know, young men, sort of 13 to 17 on the streets or on the beach kicking a ball wearing football shirts. Overwhelmingly, actually, Barcelona and Real Madrid, which is interesting because yeah. I think 20 years ago it would have been Manchester United shirts. But, mm. um, yeah, and I turned to the CEO of Warchild because actually that afternoon we'd been at one of the programs and there clearly wasn't a problem engaging um, kids from zero to 12 in the programs we were doing or from nursery age up to sort of 12, 13, both um, boys and girls. But over the age of 13, 12 or 13, we weren't engaging any of the teenage boys. And it's clear that these are the boys who are going to end up turning into the men that continue this conflict, right? So yes. it felt like if you can engage those teenage boys like we have with, with child soldiers in Democratic Republic, Congo, Central African Republic, you can really make a, a lasting and impactful change in, in, that, in that zone. And, and, you know, Warchild don't claim to be peacemakers. They're really trying to look after children in conflict zones. But what, a lot of what they do ends up having the effect of peacemaking because they're helping, particularly their mental um, health support, like they call it psychosocial support programs for mm. kids who have been traumatized and their parents. is really powerful stuff because it can break the chain of violence, in my view. So we know that if we can get these kids involved in our programs as War Child, we can, we can really disrupt the broken cycle of, of trauma and, and violence that happens in these places. And we know that 80% of kids who come through our psychosocial support programs um, show improved signs of trauma. So those tend to be things like bedwetting, bad dreams, violence at school, irritability, lack of concentration. And we spoke with the um, Gaza Mental Health Center and they said, we know that 80% of those symptoms can be, can be improved once the kids have been through this program, psychosocial support. But we're finding it really hard to engage the teenage boys particularly. So I turned to the CEO of Warchild, Rob Williams, and one of my heroes, and said to him, like, we've got to get these boys in because we know the system works, but we can't get them through the door. The best way to get them through the door, as you can see on every street corner, is by using football. So we came up with the idea for War Child FC, and we started talking to people involved in football. I talked to Prince Ali of Jordan, who was really helpful. Rick Parry, who was uh, chairman of Liverpool and first chief exec of the Premier League, who's now chief exec of the Football League, um, all of whom said they'd love to support. So we started it off, and then the next trip we were on is in Central African Republic, and we were with a group of 10 child soldiers who'd come out from the bush and joined in the psychosocial support. We were in a little village called Power, which was like an hour and a half UN flight from Bangui, the capital. And I was with Rob and actually I had some AFC Wimbledon shirts that Ivor had given me to take for the boys. And <laughs> <laughs> quite, there's a niche little village in Republic, which is filled with AFC Wimbledon fans. But, um, but, so we and Rob turned to me. So we had sat down and talked with these boys in like broken French, and my French is not very good. So we tried talking to them. Sat down after ten minutes. It was clear like we weren't really able to 
engage with them and communicate with them as, as we'd want to. They were quite closed down. A lot of them had just come out of the bush, so they'd seen horrific things really recently. And Rob turns to me and says, why don't we try this, why don't we try this theory out? So we got the balls out. And it's not a new theory, right? It's not reinventing the wheel. Everyone knows that sport helps with leadership and helps with mental health, helps with physical health. But anyway, so he said, let's get the balls out. So we went outside of the courtyard, played the dustiest game of football I think I've ever played. And uh, I got absolutely rinsed by these kids who are unbelievable. And, uh, <laughs> and we went back into the very same room half an hour later. And suddenly these boys were willing to engage with us. And they spoke pretty freely about some of their experiences, not in a forced way, but in a voluntary way. Hmm. And it was clear that just kicking the ball around for half an hour opens doors in a way that sitting there is not going to do. So War Child FC now runs programs across many of the different territories that all child work in and um, the idea is that we've built in psychosocial support programs into something based around football and fitness and um, and it's it's really it's really a wonderful thing yeah at a time like this it is really um, lovely to hear about football engaging with communities which is something it can continue to be useful in while games actually aren't happening can't it but um look, absolutely keep keep up the great work marcus uh thanks so much for for all your time and um i, I hope oh, to see you very man. soon in in the new plow lane in the new plow lane don's are coming sounds home. good didn't the it home. the new home of european football <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's gonna be great exactly. thanks for exactly. your time mate this was a stakhanov production Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.